A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Upfront on Football Rabble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. The WSL is building to a dramatic climax and Chelsea beginning to show some nerves. We look over the penultimate match day. There were plenty of nerves at Watford in the championship, but Molly Green pulled it out of the bag in the most dramatic fashion. We discussed the last day of the season, the second tier, and a record-breaking campaign for Chloe's Crystal Palace. 49 WSL goals. Please, Paris, it is there. 50 Women's Super League goals for Nikita Paris to round off the perfect afternoon for Arsenal. And Penilla Harder puts it away with the minimum of fuss. A pressure penalty, but you wouldn't have known it from the way Penilla Harder stroked it home. What a weekend. What a weekend. Um, Chloe, you got to start with your weekend. <laughs> Why are you giggling? Because it was you. a big... I mean, Palace went to Manchester yes, we for did. their end of season night out. Yes, we did. Played Sheffield United. It was a... 2-2. Two, 2-2 two. Two, two draw. Yeah, yeah. eventful. Um, exciting way to end the season. It was. It was. It really, really was. Um, yeah, drove all the way up to Sheffield from a wedding on the Saturday. You had uh, a busy, busy bank holiday weekend. I did. Stop smiling at me like a Cheshire cat. It's <laughs> unnerving. You were double parked with caffeine today before we came in to record. This is why we're laughing because we know what's going on behind mm. that bubbly persona. It's a difficult day. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I well, don't we, know how we this thank podcast you. is going to go today. We thank you for recovering and being here. But give us the PG version yep. of that Sunday night out with the Palace Gang. Couldn't tell you. Don't remember. There's it. no PG version. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I think. Well, we started off fairly tame. So we okay. went to the Blues Kitchen for a couple of drinks. Oh, yoy. I know. Yeah. And then we headed on into like a couple of cocky like, teas. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, yeah beverageinos. Well, because I'd, I'd feel a little bit worse from where from the Saturday. I decided oh, yeah. to go straight with the an espresso martini oh, and yeah. a Negroni Good. at the same time. Oh, so just God. Bang, 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 and it just it, that it, explains everything. Yeah, I don't like. I, I don't like Negronis. I feel like they're very classy drink, and I want to like them but I actually mm. find them quite disgusting. Yeah, they're very big. <laughs> yeah, they are a lot of drinking. I love an espresso martini though. Yeah, I just felt like I needed some alcohol and also some caffeine. Bit of a kick. Kept me up. Yeah. You could have just done the espresso mar- martini because that has both. 
Yeah, but that would have been too easy. And, you know, time's of the essence. We only had a few hours of the night. Uh, and then I went on to Cuba de Revolution or something like okay. that. In... Sounds very authentic. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we bumped into some uh, some superstars in the WSL, actually. Ooh. I can't name names. But, uh, yeah, it was a couple of uh, people who probably shouldn't have been out that were Ooh, out. Naughty. As, as were we. Um, yeah. And then we sort of, um, you know, it kind of escalated debauchery. The escalated usual. or went downhill? Uh, it depends what way you look at it really I felt a little bit worse for wear dirty martini saw some things that it shouldn't have and then we all went dirty home. martini was dirty it was <laughs> it wasn't the cleanest of martinis and then how long did it take you to get back from Manchester on Monday uh, pure five hours Oof. but mainly because Gracie Pierce needed to stop every three minutes because she's an absolute child so, um, so yeah it was well, just to go for a wee you had to pull over for the kids yeah she was just napping and then we had to change seats and then oh. Coral's like feet were out and it was just like the car just <laughs> smelled like it was just oh great Right, well, we, we won't linger on that anymore because we've got to move on. But while um, Chloe was uh, on a big night out, uh, there were some other things happening across the uh, football pyramid. We had a huge end of the season drama in the championship and we're going to get onto that very shortly. But let's start uh, in the WSL because we are heading into the final week. It is the final week of the season this week. We've got two games midweek with Arsenal hosting Spurs at the Emirates and then uh, Man City will be playing Birmingham City uh, in those midweek ones, rearranged because of COVID. And then we've got the final weekend, the season, the final Sunday of the season. All of the games kicking off at the same time as per uh, all 12 o'clock kickoffs. Uh, and it's going to be very exciting. So maybe let's do a little kind of paint the picture Stay with us now. Stay with us. It's um, Rachel's good at this because she last season did a little like video telling everyone what the permutations were for relegation. I don't know if I can deliver the goods in that regard, but let's focus on the title race for a minute. Essentially, it's in Chelsea's hands. Um, if Arsenal don't win against Spurs on Wednesday night, the title is Chelsea. Game over. It's mm -hmm. game over, baby. Yeah. Um, if Arsenal do win, they will take it to the final day, but Chelsea will be a point ahead when things kick off on Sunday. That's right. Nice. Yeah. Well mm -hmm. done. Yeah. <laughs> now, I was looking at Rachel like, that's right, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that would mean that if Chelsea win, they obviously win the league. If they draw and Arsenal win, Arsenal would win the league, but Arsenal have to rely on Chelsea either drawing or losing and Arsenal winning their game away at West Ham for Arsenal to have any chance of winning the title. So Chelsea are in the driving seat. So that, that I think that kind of covers yep. that situation. Nailed it. When you look at United, they if City win their game against Birmingham, they will leapfrog United because they're currently a point behind them and go into third and be in third and getting that last Champions League spot. So United would have to hope that City lose their last game and they beat Chelsea in order to have a chance at getting Champions League qualification. Man City have Reading away on the last day of the season. You would imagine City are going to win that. So it's looking like City are probably going to get that third Champions League spot. Relegation. If Birmingham lose to City on Wednesday night, Game over. That's it. They're relegated. It's cancelled. It's terminated. It's done. But if Birmingham beat Manchester City, that would help United and it would keep Birmingham 
in the race against relegation because then if they were to beat Villa at Villa Park in the Midlands derby on the last end of the season and Leicester failed to beat Spurs, then they would stay up, which would be ridiculous. But if they could do that, that would be pretty amazing. But it's probably quite unlikely because they'd have to not only beat City, but also beat Villa and hope that Leicester don't get anything against Spurs. So there's quite a few things that need to go their way. But, you know, we've seen that in football before. Football is a crazy game and we're going to get on to Conference United. But let's, that's your kind of like pre-little, that's your little starter to today's main podcast course. This is exactly what we want from the WSL. Like everything is still to play for, not just winning it, not just being relegated, but um, Champions League as well is still all to play for. That is exactly what we want in this league. Um, I just am very excited. It's such a dramatic end. It's so just like dramatic. a hot, hot mess of mm. you just don't know what's going to happen. It would actually be really disappointing if Arsenal lost on Wednesday because then it would kind and of And Birmingham lost. That, yeah, and then you'd have two of those three like exciting things done. But Oh, you just want it to be even more no, dramatic. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't want that to happen. We do just, want it to be dramatic. Yeah, yeah, we want it to be dramatic. I want it to be yeah. like a hot mess on that last weekend. <laughs> yeah. I just want... I, don't I want know it to be happen. one of those like multi-screen, there's goals going, we've got goals say, here, we've got goals here. such a nightmare as like from a coverage perspective that everything is on at the same time <laughs> yeah. we're all going to do terrible jobs at whatever game we're at because we're going to be looking at all the other games just yeah, to see and what's happening I still, Rachel and I still don't know what games we're going to be at because everyone's waiting for that the, the game on Wednesday the Arsenal game to then decide right where are we are going to be I imagine I'm going to be at Arsenal West Ham but I still don't know yet but also just shout out I know uh, TalkSport who I'm going to be working for on Sunday are going to be doing like a special kind of around the grounds and they're going to have uh, reporters at the well, commentary of the Chelsea game reporters at the Arsenal game, I think I'll be there. And then also a report at the Reading City game. So that'll be like a, you know, great sort of style. Like, a goal's gone in at Reading. Has Who it? is it? Has and it then just? you're like, literally. <laughs> so we'll be doing that, which you don't get a lot in the WSL, which is quite nice. Like, I do it, you know, I've done it before for EFL with them and and you would get it in the Premier League and stuff. There's going to be lots of coverage. So one way or another, if you're not at a game, you're going to be covered in terms of content. So let's take ourselves back to... Um, Chloe's hangover. No, let's what, not do no. that. Let's take ourselves back to the weekend. Uh, we had lots of WSL games, some on Saturday, some on Sunday. Um, Chelsea getting the job done, but making it very nervy for their fans, leaving it fairly late, but getting a 1 0 win over Birmingham thanks to a Panilla Harder penalty. And they conceded it through, well, they scored it after a Birmingham handball in the box. I'm so so about this penalty. We don't mm. need to get too stuck into it. But I thought it was a little bit harsh yeah. because there's not really anything she can do with her arm. Her arm is in the air, but it is a kind of natural movement. Her back is to the ball. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't even see the ball. Yeah. Like she's not just... she's not going like that. Well, this is a podcast. You can't see what I'm doing, but she's not moving her arm up. For the to try, um, you know? reference, uh, Flo is waving her arm up and down. <laughs> the air for those I like really her whapping and whacking inflatable. Just imagine there's a fly above your head um, and you're trying to frantically. But yeah, she it wasn't. Away. It wasn't like that sort of movement that no. I think we saw in that midweek game uh, between uh, Chelsea and Spurs, in Both which hands. I think, yeah, Chelsea mm-hmm. could have had a penalty twice over, especially mm-hmm. the Carice Harrop one where she did move her arms yeah. towards her. I think this was a little bit harsh, but, you know, this this, this is, we've, had, we've seen it all season and um, Rachel, you and I both agreed that we think Chelsea would have found a way in the rest of the 20 minutes of the game, whatever there was left anyway, but they got a little bit of a helping hand, literally, <laughs> uh, and got their goal. Um, and yeah, a ma- obviously massive result, huge celebrations from their bench and the players. And now just one more win, one more win and a third consecutive WSL title 
is theirs. That's a pretty amazing thought if you're a player, right, Chloe? Absolutely huge, but that's also completely nerve-wracking. Mm. And I think it's not like the last game of the season is one of those things you think it's going to be a walkover. Man United will want that game. Um, and I don't think it's going to be an easy battle for them either. I mean, you know, it, it means so much. I think, you know, what Rachel was saying before, every single team in this last game, or these last couple of games, wants something from the season, whether it is that the title spot, whether it is to avoid relegation, whether it is to get the Champions League spot, whether it is even, you know, Spurs want to get fifth. So every single team here has something to prove. And, you know, the Chelsea-Manchester game, I think, is going to be um, up there with one of the most exciting of the of the weekend. I think if Chelsea didn't have this battle with Arsenal I think it wasn't going down to the last you know couple of games I think if they had won the league maybe by now they might not have won that Birmingham game and Mm -hmm. I think that's the difference with Chelsea is it's the mark of a champion in my opinion I don't think that game is necessarily cracks appearing I think it's very hard to play that relentless style of football that Chelsea play um, for a whole season Um, they've had a lot of football they've had injuries etc but they know how to win a game and I think they're actually more dangerous to play when they have something to play for. So for me, like, despite watching that, I was at that game and as the clock ticked by, you know, you start to think, are Birmingham going to do it? But for me, I always feel like Chelsea will find a way. Man City used to be like that. They used to be the team that could be 1-0 down or a draw in the 80th minute and And they they would would find a way to get a goal and that's what I think Chelsea have. So I think they're at their most dangerous when they're in this, when they're under pressure, and um, what we were saying before we started recording is that that's what Arsenal lack right now. Yes, is that ruthlessness, that 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 momentum to to continue to believe to handle the pressure, no, to handle the pressure, continue to believe that no matter what is on the clock, you can find a way. Uh, and Emma Emma Hayes referenced afterwards that she thought her team were playing stressed, and I think you did see that. You know, like rushing things, some pretty dodgy shots. Players not playing at their best. Jesse Flamming did not have a good game. You could hear um, it from the players yeah. on the pitch. Like being pitch side, you could hear them like groans of frustration. Mm. A girl right and took, a, took a, a corner and I think she hit it straight out and she just ran away going, oh my God. Like you could <laughs> literally hear the frustration on the pitch, but, yeah. but they pull it together. Like you saw a similar kind of performance against Reading where they allowed the frustration to get the better of them. Obviously, they're always fighting for points, but it was the middle of the season. It wasn't catastrophic that Mm. they lost. But in this end of the season, when they're in those situations, they just have something that gets them over the line. Massively. And I think it it was was one of those games, I think, where it meant so much to Birmingham as well. So I think it was... um, it's that, and we have seen a couple of upsets happen throughout the season, mm. and you get the feeling that you know it, that could have gone, that could have gone to a nil-nil, and, and that would have been a complete game changer. And we've seen Chelsea as well struggle defending corners the last couple of years. It's been a vulnerability of theirs, but Birmingham just couldn't find that quality that they've had at points this season through Louise Quinn. Uh, you know, she's their top goal scorer. They just couldn't find that on Sunday and that could have been decisive if they had been able to find that quality I have to say as well the pitch wasn't great as soon as it started raining oh it my slowed god, there was down so yeah. much surface water oh my god the, the ball was going so slowly and for the way that Chelsea want to play that's not going that's not going to play into their hands so I also thought wow you know Birmingham could grind out a draw as well because these conditions aren't suiting what Chelsea would like right now yeah I really feel for them I do think they deserved a draw out of that game and I think Obviously, it makes it harder going into the Man City game. But for them, the fact that they... And they've done this the last couple of games where they've put absolutely everything. They've left everything out on the pitch. And to know they've come away with nothing after a performance like that and to have to do it all over again against Man City, it's really hard, especially away from home. So a draw would have just... not It would have taken the pressure off them, but it would have said to them, we can work our asses off against the best and we can get something. 
And I think that's going to make it mentally tough for them going into that Man City game. Also need to shout out Ji Soyeon, who will be leaving Chelsea after eight years. She won 11 trophies there. She was she scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final in 2015, which was the first trophy Chelsea won under Emma Hayes, I think. Scored in their, in their huge Champions League campaign to get them to the final last season. She's been a pivotal player in their success over the last few years. And uh, there's a big personality as well in that squad. Um, and that um, that video that she did with the club was so emotional. I couldn't watch it. Mm. Just someone who is so loved by the fans, by the team and so many in the women's football community. It was really hard to watch. Yeah, she's not just had an impact on Chelsea. I think she's had an impact on the whole WSL. I think she's been the best foreign player that played in the WSL in terms of her longevity and the impact. She's a game changer when she needs to be. She's an absolute magician and technical player. Um, and she will be sorely, sorely missed. Um, I do, part of me wonders like how much of it is down to the fact that Chelsea can't sign, you know, new contracts at the moment or how much of it was actually potentially planned. While we we will miss her and Chelsea will miss her, I also don't think they will necessarily miss her on the pitch in terms of they have other players, I think, that can fill in for that. And she wasn't getting as much game time as she used to get. Um, but she will be a big loss to the to WSL. Unfortunately, she came off um, in that Spurs game, uh, not the midweek one, the Sunday one, um, in which Chelsea won 3-1, with a bit of a calf injury, with some ice on her calf, and she didn't feature on the weekend or midweek. So hopefully she might get fit enough to make an appearance in the FA Cup final because that would be such a good way to kind of finish her Chelsea career at Wembley. But I don't know how bad that injury was for her the other day, but it'd be great if she can kind of sign off um, with an appearance uh, at the end of the season. Looking at Arsenal as well, um, I mean, similarly, a bit of a legend could be uh, could be heading off fairly soon out of that camp, but we'll get to that in a minute. Seven goals on, on Sunday. It was, uh, it was a pretty bad day at the office for Aston Villa. Uh, a massive shame, really, because Anita Asante had a brilliant um, guard of honour before the game, an amazing ceremony and and some uh, flowers and a, a, like amazing collection that Arsenal did for her to to um, yeah really give thanks to what she did with that team. Part of the quadruple winning team at Arsenal that won the Champions League back in two thousand six, two thousand seven, and obviously a legend on and off the pitch. So that was really nice, really nice for for Arsenal to do that. A really nice touch, but unfortunately it was a very bad day for Aston Villa, kind of from. The opening few minutes, right till the end, when um, Nikki Nikki Paris got that penalty in stoppage time, it was just one way traffic. Didn't have a shot on target, barely had the ball, um, and Arsenal were just kind of like playing around in front of them, and their their defense was was scrambling. I think Villa gave Arsenal far too much respect, especially that uh, Miedemar second goal. The time and space that they gave her. You yeah. can't give one of the best players in the world that much time on the ball. I mean, if you were a goalkeeper, Chloe, you would be absolutely fuming if the defenders in front of you were just kind of letting one of the world's best stroll through. 100%. And I was just about to say that. I think a lot of the goals just looked very similar. And it was it was like they weren't learning from their mistakes at all. I mean, so many shots. There were so many long-range shots from outside the box that were just going being peppered into the top corners. Mm. And you just think, you need to shut that down. I mean, that can't be happening. You need to shut that down. It just it wasn't happening. And... You know, after the first few goals, it was just an absolute cascade after that and they weren't coming back. So I think once you start to go down, you know, 3-4-0, it is game over and, and your heads go down and you, and you could see that. But you've got to be really careful because a score like 7-0, that's that's a danger. That doesn't look good. 
I do wonder how much of that performance was, you know, tiredness after the incredible performance they put in against United the previous week. They really like worked their socks off against United. And it's a bit like, you know, looking at that Birmingham result against Chelsea. You know, you grind out a performance like that. How can you realistically go and do that again for another 90 minutes? And so part of me wonders how much of that was, was fatigue as well. And they had some literal kids playing. Like oh, it was some it key was injuries. Really, yeah, some mm. really big injuries. So I think I think the end of the season is coming at the right time for them. They kind of need to reset, really need to get some attacking players because they've offered very little going forward this season. Um, but let's look at Arsenal for a little bit because there was potentially a, a, a big injury to Arsenal's Jordan Nobbs. Went down after, quite soon after coming on as a substitute. Was uh, really emotional. There's been discussions and rumours about her future at the club, rumours that she's leaving. Jonas Adeval said midweek and reiterated after the match that there is still a year left on her contract, but it is looking like she may be leaving this summer. She went down um, and was very emotional leaving the pitch. Obviously, lots of people concerned given her injury history and and given the fact that she did her ACL and missed the 2019 World Cup and it would be gut-wrenching if she missed the Euros this summer. Still, I haven't seen any update on it, whether, you know, hopefully it's not that bad and the emotion was around her potentially playing, having played her last game at Meadow Park. It could also, it could be both. Um, we wait and see, um, but it was it was tough to watch. Yeah, there are some players in this WSL, and look, nobody ever wants anyone to get injured, but there are some players I find that transcend club rivalries, and I think Jordan Nobbs is one of those. Fran Kirby is another player, I think, that, that transcends those rivalries. So when you see someone like her going down, uh, yeah, it was really tough to watch, both you know from a, a journalist perspective and then just a fan of the women's game. You know, A, how much she loves that club, um, and how long she's been there and it did feel a little bit like a farewell mm. um, so to go and get injured in that way and like I'm really hoping those tears are because she got injured in what could ultimately be her farewell home game as opposed to another ACL injury because it was the same leg so it's just, hopefully yeah. we might get an update um, from Jonas Adevel this week in the in the pre-match to the Spurs game or hopefully ahead of Sunday what the latest is hopefully she can get a scan because I feel like everyone is just kind of like holding their breath yeah literally holding their breath right now because it would be so gutting for her um, if she were to miss out on the Euros after everything that's happened Um, but looking elsewhere uh, on Sunday Arsenal put on you know a clinic a workshop but if they lose the WSL title they lose out on the WSL title which it looks likely they would end this season with no trophies and it would be three years since they won anything. And for a club like Arsenal, who have got 14 FA Cups, only English team to win the Champions League, have won it all, that is pretty disappointing. And they also had you know, quite big transfer windows in the summer and in January. So to leave end this season with nothing... Like you'd be disappointed if you were a fan and, and probably if you were part of that squad as well. Of course. Um, but I think they effectively ended their relationship with Joe Montemuro, the previous manager, because they weren't winning anything. And I think it may be a little naive to think you can bring in a new manager and, and immediately go on, on to win something. Um, but I also feel like Arsenal have been in a bit of a transitional period for a couple of years now. There's, it's almost like they're still trying to fit all the pieces together in the right way. Um, and yet we still seem to have similar issues in terms of dealing with pressure and not finding the goal as regularly as they should be this weekend, uh, notwithstanding. Um, so yeah, it is a little bit disappointing. They need to start 
figuring out these issues soon. Otherwise, they'll, yeah, you know, go another season without getting a trophy. I think getting silverware is really important for them in the next season. Massively. I think it's definitely been a drought and I think people will obviously be very much aware of that. But I think you can take away some kind of um, sort of positives from how this season has been. I mean, they are only one point away from being in the top spot and it's just because Chelsea have just been that extra little bit consistent with the games that they've played. So it's not necessarily that I don't think Arsenal have been, you know, great performers this season. I've, I think they have. I mean, they're still going to qualify for the Champions League. There's some positives there, but I, I do agree that I think they need to start pumping up the game for, for next season and looking to be better better contenders to get some of that silverware because it's just it's not good enough for, for a club with, with that kind of reputation yeah I imagine um, I imagine it's going to be quite a busy summer again for, for Arsenal um, but they need to strengthen defensively that's been such a, an issue for them this season so I, I'm sure Jonas Adver will be back the club want to get back to where they were and they're doing really good things I think as a brand and we all know that like as a as a brand their women's team is head and shoulders really I think above a lot of teams in the world in terms of this season they went from having no competitive games at the Emirates and now having had four this season which is amazing um, and you know all the kit releases and all that kind of marketing and they're such a well supported club but I, you've got to back that up as well <laughs> I think next year will be the season for them in terms of if things don't happen then yeah. then there's going to be a problem. And I think we might see some like year-long extensions from some players who maybe are coming to the end of contracts. I think they're going to potentially give it another year in terms of Champions League progression, in terms of winning trophies. Because as you say, they have come close. But the fact that we haven't seen them in a final, you know, other than last year's FA Cup, which was played this season, um, I think is an issue. So I think next season is going to be a bit of an ultimatum for, I think, players and club. And we still don't know what's happening with Viviana Miedemar. We and it could, Arsenal could be Viviana Miedemar-less at the start of next season. That's a huge player to, to lose, a huge personality and women's football brand to miss. Looks like she might be heading to Barcelona. And much like Jordan Nobbs' departure on Sunday, Miedemar was walking off that Meadow Park pitch very slowly. And I was chatting to a friend about was there anything to read in that? Was it, you know, trying to take in the moment of the last game at Meadow Park? It, it you know, it's, it was also just like classic Miedemar. Yeah. And classic, just like time-wasting that players would do, game management. But it just made me think a little bit more about it. Like, is was that her last game at Meadow Park? Because it, it could well have been. Um, that's enough Arsenal chat. Um, let's chat Man City. Because finally we get to... I think see Bonnie Shaw at her best. Um, I don't think she's played enough for Manchester City. This is a don't think Gareth Taylor's put on the pitch enough. And she an absolute stormer in Man City's 7-2 win over Brighton. Um, she's had a couple of injuries this season. She hasn't started a lot of games. Gareth Taylor's tried to play, play her with Ellen White. Hasn't quite worked. So she's kind of slotted in when White hasn't played. But she's scored some really important goals for them this season. Scoring in the Manchester derby. And against Arsenal. She played a massive part in that um, Conti Cup run as well. Scored a lot of goals um, along along the way to the final. Um, and she's their joint top goal scorer this season now with Lauren Hemp. Um, and I'm really excited for what's to come, hopefully, for her. And I hope kind of that Gareth Taylor sees the potential in her and kind of puts her forward. Because I know Ellen White is such a good goal scorer and it's very hard to drop Ellen White. We know that. But it hasn't been a great season for her. Her numbers have not been great this season and the way that, that City are playing is not the way that Ellen White really wants to play. And, and she's still efficient 
if she does get supply, but it hasn't been the sort of season for her. And I wonder if now you need to kind of do that sort of phase of, right, but phase Bunny Shore into things. Yeah, I also think Ellen White's a great goal scorer for England because there's a little bit more consistency within that team and how they play. And I think there's been less consistency in the Manchester City team, you know, a lot because of injuries and also because of, you know, figuring out the best way to play these players. So I think that's probably contributed to it as well. I would still always take Ellen White for England any day of the week. Um, but I do think we're seeing Manchester City back at their ruthless best. Um, and it's been missed. You know, it's been a long season for them and it's great to see them now playing with such flourish and kind of utilising their players quite well um, and getting into finals and winning trophies and stuff like that. So that's been good. I also think, though, Brighton were very poor on the weekend. I felt like that 90 minutes encapsulated their season. They started off badly. Um, they had a little bit of a resurgence towards the end of the first half, bringing the game back, making it really exciting. 3-2 at half time, and you thought, oh my God, maybe Brighton are going to go on and do something. And then they just completely fell apart. And it's been a little bit like that j- during their season. Um, defending was was really poor. I think City scored four goals in 12 minutes in the second half. So not a good day at the office for them. But yeah, Bunny Shaw was absolutely on on fire and they had no idea how to handle her. I think she's just such a dynamic player. I mean, she's exciting. When she comes onto the pitch, like, you just know that something exciting is going to happen. And the way she just drives through you know, defensive lines is, is phenomenal. And I think she just brings a different edge to Man City, that kind of more, you know, Man City, I, I don't think, uh, uh, this is sort of bad to say, but I don't think, I don't look at them and go, oh my God, this is really exciting. But she's something that's sort of a little bit special. And I think she's creating this massive profile for Man City off the pitch as well. I mean, I know she's done a few campaigns now with this sort of um, this new FAWSL thing they're doing with, you know, big superstar players talking to these um, these youngsters who are sort of coming up in the game. And, you know, she was massive in sort of opening up and sharing her story. So I think, you know, she's she's going to become one of those big names and she's, she's already created that this season. So I think she does add something completely different and quite special to, to the squad. She's quite a unique striker, isn't she? She's mm. very tall. Um, so she's good in the air, but she's quite physical as well. And she, you, you know, hard to kind of push Defenders off the ball in the box. They her. can't handle her. She's yeah. good with her feet. She gets into those spaces. Um, and I don't think I, I don't think Ellen White has that edge anymore. No, and this they are very different strikers. Mm. Those two, you compare them. Also, shout out. Um, obviously, you mentioned Anita Asante hanging up her boots, um, but another legend is hanging up their boots. Karen Bardsley um, has announced. She announced on Monday that she's retiring at the end of the season. Uh, 82 caps for England, eight major trophies with City. She's a big personality. She was you know, England number one for a very long time. Someone that you know, do you know her, Chloe, and you know what she's like? Have you ever worked with her or or kind of what, what kind of influence has she had on the GK Union in women's football? I mean, massive and significant. I mean, I've never been fortunate enough to actually meet her and speak to her. But for me, you know, growing up and, and going through the, the sort of transition in goalkeeping from it being a, you know, a position that not many people really knew much about. It wasn't getting a lot of attention, a lot of funding. You weren't seeing a lot of coaches sort of, you know, specific goalkeeper coaches and and now you look at someone like Karen Barsley, who's really brought that position on. I mean, she is someone that I've looked up to in my own career. And obviously, you know, Ellie Roebuck will have looked up to her in her career. And I don't think it's any um, surprise, really, that Roebuck is where she is now because of probably a, a big impact that, that Barsley's played. And, you know, I, I think it's been probably not the best couple of years for Barsley. Obviously, I think the last league game for her was you know, yeah. January 2021. And, 
you know, it seems such a shame, obviously, because given how the start of her career really was, it was so powerful and she was achieving so much. And then to kind of not have the opportunity to do that through the injuries, it's it's really unfortunate. But, you know, she can leave the game knowing that she's made a, a significant impact. And she's one of that generation of players with Asante, with, you know, likes of Farah and, you know, Horton and, and Ellen White. And, you know, those it's that kind of like golden generation of footballers who have kind of taken it from where it was to to how impressive and, and great it is now so you know for me I'm, I'm wishing her the best retirement but it'll be interesting to see what she's going to do as well because she's not really done a lot of punditry work so I'm thinking maybe going into coaching mm. or you know some kind of directorship or something like that I so. love her little um like catchphrase or like hashtag that she has which I think is get big yeah what's yours get big yeah it's actually... like get big what's yours do you have one what like a goalkeeping catchphrase yeah Get it, get it the hell away from me. <laughs> Hashtag get the hell away from me. Um, are you going to give us the live retirement announcement on the pod? Uh, well, I was thinking about doing something to do with, you know, like, you know, like a video like Adita Asante, but I, I think it would just be my mum being like, yeah, she had a good run. <laughs> I'll film it for you. Yeah, and we'll edited. do it here. We'll Have do I it going, the pod. Yeah, she was, she was all right. <laughs> she said, get it the hell away from me a lot. And that really <laughs> stuck with me. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It was a mad final day in the championship. Obviously, you were a part of that. Uh, Chloe, your, your palace side was a part of that. But we got to focus on um, Cov United first because we did big up the finale last episode. We got it right. And bloody hell did they deliver. Wow. Um, Molly Green with a 97th minute free kick winner for Coventry United at Watford, at Vicarage Road the game was. And that meant that Coventry United stayed up in the championship. I mean, they battled against a 10-point deduction. It was the stuff of dreams. Um, huge celebrations on the bus home. Spoke to Cov United manager Jay Bradford yesterday. She was looking remarkably fresh-faced, actually. But Still they had, going. They had some brilliant <laughs> celebrations. And um, I think she's looking forward to next season because I think we spoke about how, you know, it's a talented squad because... They went in and went full time and, you know, they got some good players. Um, so I think now it's really nice for them to be able to kind of like look ahead and think, right, what can we actually do with this team? We've got new ownership. Hopefully we can build some good foundations. And I think they showed how good they were. The fact that they managed to overturn 
a 10 point deduction and stay up. But also, this must be a massive exhale for everybody just to know that That's they're still going to be. That's literally what she said. In the FAW. Yeah, she was like, it was just like an emotional yeah. and physical release. And she said that weirdly they hadn't spoken about what happened very much because they didn't want to sort of like let it distract them. Yeah. But when after the game on Sunday, they actually had an opportunity when they're all in the pub to kind of like actually talk to each and other reflect. about what happened and yeah. being like, that was obviously really tough for everyone. Um, but now we can celebrate as a team and we've got through it and we can move on. So, yeah, unbelievable. No disrespect to Watford, but I do think everyone was rooting for them. I know, and I did feel bad for them because I follow a couple of their players on t- on Instagram and obviously they're, they've just been relegated. So it's a really yeah, but, crap moment for them. Yeah, but it's not like, you know... Watford have had a bad season the whole season, mm-hmm. the whole time. And yeah. there were there were times where they could have maybe turned results around earlier on in the season to prevent this situation. Um, and I'm sure they'll be back. Yeah, but I guess with Coventry, the fact that they went, what was it, like an eight game on beaten run or something ridiculous like that? Like, I know so many of us uh, in in our in our WhatsApp chats who were covering WSL games at the weekend all had one eye um, on the on the games, on the Coventry game. And the WhatsApp chat just like blew up when that goal went in. And I just, uh, it's, who says football isn't romantic? I mean, to leave until the 97th minute, it just... And the free kick was so unbelievable. unbelievable. Such a good free kick. And everyone came onto the pitch, all the subs and the manager, and then they had to like quiet, like, oh, sorry, God, the game's still going on. She should be knighted for that. I mean, (laughs) because that takes a lot of balls. When you think about your, that's the last kick of the game, pretty much. And you're thinking, okay, what do I do here? Do I pass it to the wall and then take a strike? No, I just absolutely launch it. Top, top bins. Keeper was absolutely nowhere near it, but... I think I, I agree. I think in terms of, you know, they shouldn't Coventry shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. I mean, I just looking at the table then to see where they would have come had the points deduction not occurred and they would have been sitting tenth, which yep, not not great, but they shouldn't have been in that situation at the end of the season. And for them girls, I think, to have such fire in their bellies to come back from such a massive disadvantage to to get that and bring that home and secure the position of the club, I think, for this season is one hundred percent just incredible. And I think that was the most difficult thing to watch actually about that game is because it was so tremendous and such a significant achievement. But then you looked at the Watford players and the the, the heartbreak and the upset that they felt. And I just couldn't, I, I felt so sorry for them watching watching that that unfold because that's just the best and the worst day for, for two teams. And, you know, it's heartbreaking, but it, I mean, it made for a fantastic game. It was just, it was a beautiful ending. Absolute roller coaster of emotions, mm, right? Yeah. Let's talk Palace though, because you finished fourth, just behind Bristol City. Obviously, got relegated from the WSL last season. Best ever finish for Palace. You finished ahead of Charlton, who recently went full-time professional this season. Ahead of Durham, who are always one of the best teams in the league and have been pushing, knocking on the door for WSL uh, promotion. And ahead of Sheffield United, who were also pushing for promotion last season and just missed out. So. Yeah, massive season for Palace. It's been huge and I think it's been such a journey. I mean, I started with Palace two years ago now and at that time we were ninth and then we were seventh last season and then to push now for, well, we're calling it joint third because we're sort of technically on the same same points. Yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, to finish, I think where we did, I think we defied all odds because I think, you know, with the championship mainly being full of full-time players now, we were thinking, okay, well, how are we going to bridge that gap? We don't get enough contact time, you know, you don't get the same recovery. You know, there's all these kind of different things that are, that are at play here, but... I think, and I, and I go back to saying this every every single time, is that it, it was the makeup of the squad. 
Um, and, you know, we set ourselves a target at the start of the season. I think the target for us was to, to get to 41 points. And so we were just a little bit off that. But that was the ambition that we had for the club this year. And then to see that actually, you know, played out and reenacted, I think I think it's just an incredible achievement. I'm just so proud of the, the girls. Um, they so, deserved that night out in Manchester, didn't they? they we really it. did. We <laughs> really, really did. Yeah, and more. We deserved probably a weekend away. <laughs> Promotion next season, what are we saying? I think that's where the, that's where the direction of the club is now. I mean, we're pushing up there with the best of the best. I mean, Bristol City and, and London City have been you know a tough opposition. What with them being London you know, City had a really good season, didn't mm. they? I mean, they're 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 both established full time squads. Yeah. So for us to be sitting in and around that that position is is fantastic. So I do think the next ambition for the club is to look at, at the WSL, especially if we're looking at you know a situation where the WSL might be expanded and two teams start to go off, maybe two teams up from the the nationals, maybe in the next couple of years as well. So Palace, if you're listening. Pay the players a little bit more. Go full time. Secure that promotion, honeys. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is, baby. Pay the players. Um, <laughs> shout out as well. Um, Newcastle United got t- over 22,000 fans to St. James's Park on Sunday for their National League game against Onwick Town Ladies. They won 4 0. Uh, a, a massive record. The biggest crowd for a domestic game in England this season, more than the 20,000 that were at Old Trafford for Man United's game recently uh, kind of came out of nowhere because I knew they were having that game but I certainly didn't expect 22,000 people to be there and that was kind of crazy that was absolutely massive it mm. really did come out of left field um, I'd heard some talk about the fact that it was being played at St. James's Park and stuff which was brilliant but Christ 22,000 that's amazing mm. that's a lot of people unbelievable and I know you know whenever these things happen the conversation around Newcastle United's ownership and sports washing does come up and I think it is really important to reflect on that and you can look at the two things and discuss both and you don't have to isolate them and, and it doesn't need to be some kind of what aboutery about or what are these clubs doing, what are these clubs doing because we are in very deep in football with um, ownership and the issues around ownership and who is owning football clubs. And unfortunately, you know, what this season I think more than ever has taught us is there are some questionable owners in the football ecosystem right now and what's important to do is when these things do happen is also reflect on that you can look at the success of that game look at the fact that 22,000 people went to St. Joe's Park to watch that match and and the, the growing support of the women's team but you can also reflect and question Saudi Arabia's ownership of that team or the the sovereign investment funds stake in that team uh, and the lack of rights and the discrimination against women and LGBTQ people in Saudi Arabia. The two things can exist side by side. And we're not, we're not, I'm not saying that because I have an agenda against Newcastle United. I think when I look at Manchester City and the success of their women's team, I would also associate a lot of that sec- success around building the Abu Dhabi brand and, and the, the links that Manchester City has to Abu Dhabi and the sovereign fund there as well are similar things and you could say the same around PSG and you could say everything around a lot of football clubs Chelsea and Abramovich etc uh, those things are important to talk about and it's not going to be the last time we talk about it on this podcast that's for sure No um, it is ultimately sports washing there's no two ways about it but I I don't think we can be selective about our outrage. I think that's we often are as a society. And I think, as you said, there's plenty of clubs that have connections with dirty money and should be regularly referenced in the same way it's being referenced now with um, Newcastle. But I do think we ultimately put aside our outrage or move on because of the... And this is a great quote from Sports Illustrated article um, about sports washing. The drama seduces us and our passions distract us and we swallow whatever is fed to us without even realising it. And I think 
the things we're willing to cast aside sometimes as a society because of our passion for sport is in the end problematic and if a team or a sport ends up being more important than than human rights then that's going to be um a bit of an issue so you know I don't think we should be told to get over it or move on or you know stop talking about it and I, I think if we do that we might have lost our way a little bit I'm not saying don't be passionate I'm you know we can still be really really passionate about sports and and love our sports and our clubs but we shouldn't be any less vocal about the issues that come alongside that and I think that's what we should be doing we should be continuing to raise the issues um you know, not ignoring them. I also think from a player's perspective, it puts us in quite a difficult situation mm, because I sure. think with the kind of commercial sponsorship and all the contracts and agreements that go on behind the scenes about, you know, the ownership of the club, the women's teams or the women's players don't really have a seat at that table to be having those discussions. And I know it's very difficult, I think, sometimes for players to be quite outspoken about these issues where they don't feel that, you know, it's the right thing for the club to be doing because essentially that's their employer and they're speaking out or they might be told to, to shut it down from their social media because a lot of those you know, commercial sponsorships and things are going to be contingent upon the players supporting that. And, you know, sometimes the players aren't happy with, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and, you know, where that money's coming from. But at the end of the day, there's not really much that the players can do apart from trying to leave a legacy and, and trying to just, you know, put on those performances and, and grow the club. And, and that's that's kind of our jobs. But it's, it's, it's hard. It's a conflict. I think doing that is just as important because at the end of the day, yes, you know, bringing in a women's team is to try and make them look better. But what the team can do and the players can do is to use that platform and drive the game forward and create more opportunities for more women within this country. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's it's unfair to expect it all to rest on players' shoulders to come and kind of stand up against these things. That's what the media is there for. But I think as long as the UK government, well, not the UK government, but as long as governments in general are driving the narrative and deciding who our friends are and aren't, it won't be talked about in the media. Um, so I do think there is an element of responsibility within the media to continue to have these conversations about sports washing. Yeah, and, and lots of lots of journalists are continuing to discuss Newcastle United Saudi Arabia and continue to discuss uh, the World Cup in Qatar and, and and that's fantastic. Keep the conversation going. Um, in some other news as well, uh, we finally know who will be p- replacing Russia at the Women's Euros, finally. Bad time. Way mm. too late, but hopefully Portugal were aware. It is going to be Portugal. Um, they lost to Russia in a playoff game, so they will be getting the final spot. Uh, and we finally know the entire complement of the 16 teams that are going to be there also gives them a little bit of time to prepare I'm sure maybe they were made aware hopefully a little bit before then but now they can finally start preparing um where's everyone going to be this Sunday or this week actually because it's a busy week I know I'm going to the North London Derby but that's as far as I know I think yeah, <laughs> still likewise. waiting to find out where I'm being sent um, well, it's my first weekend off. It's, it's officially the end of the season, so um, I'm actually on the hendy. beach, honey. No, a hendy. Oh, oh yeah. don't go drinking again, Chloe. Have a weekend off. Come on, I'm you need your body right. It's the, da- it's the downfall of Chloe Morgan <laughs> from now on in. Similarly to Rachel, I'm going to be at Northland Derby, and then who knows on Sunday? But I'm hoping uh, Dagenham for West Ham Arsenal. But we will update you all next week because we have lots to talk about. Chloe's Hindu. Um, Rachel and I is it, is it um, your Hindu? No, not her. Uh, no, I'm not announcing an engagement on the podcast. Um, <laughs> not yet. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it for today's episode of Upfront and Football Ramble presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble at Floyd. Tweet for myself at Girls on the Ball for Rachel or at Morgie underscore eighty nine. We'll see you all next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. 
Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.